You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What's up, everybody? This is Trey Biddy with Hogsports.com, H-A-W-G Sports.com. Today on the show, we're going to be joined by Jeff Tarpley, the senior writer at Gigum 247. We're also going to be joined by Kurt Wilkerson and Danny West. We're going to break down this Arkansas-Texas A&M game. And we've got some scary stories to share for this Halloween. All that and more on Hogsports Live. Well, before we get started, everybody, we've got to go over a couple of things. I'm not going to go over all the how to watch and all that stuff you guys know by now, right? But I do want to mention our 50% off offer, okay? This is a big deal for us. It's a great time to sign up. And, I mean, it breaks down to 15 cents a day. So you get the best in Razorback sports and recruiting for 15 cents a day. It's $1.03 a week, $4.48 a month, and breaks down to just $53.70 for the entire year. Okay? Just go to hogsports.com, H-A-W-G sports.com, and you'll see the offer right there, 50% off. This runs through, I believe we've got it scheduled through Friday. We might keep it open through Sunday if Arkansas wins on Saturday. So be sure to sign up for that if you haven't done so already. 50% off. It's a great deal, great time to sign up. A lot of recruiting stuff about to happen coming up here. Basketball season's about to start. We've got some great stuff lined up for you on that. And, uh, of course, football season in full swing. Got my Halloween decorations up. You should see my house. My house is bordering right now with my wife's decorations between Halloween decorations and a haunted house. I mean, there's spiders spider webs, all kinds of stuff everywhere. All right, everybody, you didn't tune in for that, but let's let's jump into this game. Uh, 6.30 p.m. on the SEC Network, Saturday, October 31st, Halloween night, in, in Kyle, at Kyle Field in Bryan College Station. It's now Bryan College Station, not just College Station. 102,733 capacity. There'll probably be about, be about 50,000 in there. Texas A&M currently favored by 12 and a hook. This rivalry goes back to 1903. Both teams joined the Southwest Conference in 1915, and they reignited the rivalry after they shut it down in 1992. 91 was the last year they played. They shut it down, obviously, when Arkansas went to um, the SEC. In 2009, they reignited the rivalry. They called it the Southwest Classic. We played at then Cowboys Stadium, now AT&T Stadium. Arkansas went 3-0 and in that series. They improved their lead to 41, I believe it was 41, 24, and 3 in the series. Now, I think when a lot of people look at Texas A&M, they're like, you know, the dominant program. But when you look at it historically, it's not even close. And until these last eight games, which is the scary story we're going we're gonna to share because we're going to go through these games, you're going to sit there and listen to these horror stories. 41-32-3 all-time in the series. Arkansas actually won nine straight from 58 to 66. Okay. Let's look at it. So back in 2019, just last year, Arkansas obviously was down to – Arkansas got down to the 24-yard line with a first down, okay, with 52 seconds to play. 
Ben Hicks was sacked for a seven-yard loss. They end up in second and 17. And then they find themselves in a fourth and five after Ben Hicks ran for 17 yards down to the Texas A&M 19. 31 seconds left. Ball hit C.G. O'Grady. It was a tough one. I think it might have been slightly deflected, but it was a tough catch. But it hit him in the, in the hands or the chest. I can't remember exactly. And Arkansas loses the game by four, 31-27. Rewind a little farther. 2018. Arkansas is down 17-24. There's one minute and 46 seconds left. They get the ball. You're thinking, okay. Got a chance to go down there and tie the game. Maybe go for two. Who knows? But with 111 left, Arkansas is at midfield. Ty Story goes deep and is intercepted by Devon, Donovan Wilson at the Texas A&M 26-yard line. Ball game. Arkansas loses 24-17. 2017, 50-43. This game goes into overtime. Arkansas falling 50-43 in this one. And I'll say where it kind of it, it changed. Arkansas is up 36-33, okay, with 5-10 left in the fourth quarter. 36-33. And then Christian Kirk returns a kickoff 100 yards for a touchdown. Special teams got him. Texas A&M takes a 40-36 lead. Arkansas regains the lead, 43-40. Back and forth, 43-43. And then it goes into overtime and Texas A&M scores and Arkansas doesn't, which is the theme in all three of these overtime games over the last six games. Texas A&M scores seven, Arkansas scores none. 2016, Arkansas loses 45-24. This is the one in the last six games that wasn't close at the end. But if you look at it closer, it's 17-17 here in – it's 17-17 in the third quarter, okay? Arkansas puts together a 19-play, 89-yard drive that takes 9.55 off the clock. They're just running the ball down their throat, slowly picking up yardage. They get all the way down to the two-yard line. It's first and goal at the two. Raleigh Williams picks up one. Next play, Austin Allen, no gain. Third and goal, Austin Allen, no gain. I think one of those might have should have been reviewed look if I remember correctly. Then fourth and goal. They give it to Keon Hatcher, five yard loss to the Texas AM six. So it's 17-17. Arkansas has a chance to go up with two fifteen to play in the fourth quarter. Or excuse me, in the third quarter. And they can't get it in. This is where to me, this is the game, first year without Sam Pittman there. This is the year, the game where you really started noticing the impact of the loss of Sam Pittman on the offensive line. And they can't punch it in there. Two plays later 96-yard touchdown pass from Trevor Knight to Josh Reynolds. 92 yards, excuse me. Touchdown. Texas A&M never looks back. 45-24. 2015. This is another one that, that really stung because Arkansas, there's 250 left in the fourth quarter. It's a 21-21 game. At midfield of this one, 104 left. Arkansas is driving. Second and 10 at the 46. Allen sacked by Miles Garrett. You guys remember him. The loss of nine yards to the Arkansas 41 and a fumble. Recovered by A.J. Hilliard. 
Long story short, Texas A&M eventually goes down to score. Actually, Texas A&M missed a field goal. And then I guess uh, these stats are kind of messed up on how they're written. But anyway, Texas A&M won 28-21. Same story, different year. 2014, this one is a tough one because, okay, so this one right here, Arkansas is up 28-14, right, early in the fourth quarter. Jonathan Williams goes 55 yards to the Texas A&M two-yard line. And Dan Skipper's hit with a tripping penalty. As Dan Skipper puts it, he was just trying to get up. He was on the ground. He's trying to get up. This was the only tripping penalty called in SEC play the entire year. Okay, keep in mind this is 2014 here. Arkansas is trying to come out of an SEC losing streak. They've lost a lot of SEC games. This would have ended it. This would have this would have put them up three touchdowns. Had they punched it in, they got it all the way down to the two-yard line. But this would have put them up three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. And they get a personal foul tripping call that puts them instead of at the two-yard line, first and 23 at their own 29. Arkansas forced a punt. Texas A&M, again, 86-yard play on the second play of the the ensuing series. Arkansas can't get it done. They have to punt. Arkansas intercepts. They still can't get it done. They punt. I mean, they miss a field goal late. Texas A&M scores again. Punt. I mean, back and forth, back and forth, and then you go into overtime, of course, and it's Texas A&M 7, Arkansas 0. Happy Halloween. 45-33 in 2013. We know what happened there. Obviously, Johnny Manziel comes to Fayetteville. This is the last time the game was not played in AT&T Stadium until this year. But this game was also close. I mean, it was it was a back-and-forth battle for a long time. And then suddenly, I mean, it's 38-33 in the fourth quarter here. I bet a lot of people don't remember that. It's 45-33 final, but it's 38-33. So Arkansas has chances, but they just they can't get it done. This is also a game where Brandon Allen was played uh, with that bad shoulder. This is 2013, Brett Bielma's first year. 2012 was just the disaster year. Arkansas comes in as a top-10 team with Bobby Petrino, even though he put his motorcycle in the dish as John Elyer. You know, this one also, at halftime, this isn't a blowout. You know, it's, it's a 13-10 game. And then suddenly, you know, just the wheels come off. And suddenly, before you know it, it's 58-10. So that's kind of how the series is shaking out. The last eight games, why Texas A&M has an eight-game winning streak against Arkansas. Again, these last six, three overtime games. Five out of the last six come down to a touchdown or less. So those are scary stories for Halloween. Hope I didn't scare you guys too much. You leave the show. We're going to get to Jeff Tarpley here now. Remember, we're going to answer your questions also here in a little bit, so go ahead and get your questions in. But I want to get to Jeff and uh, and just kind of ask him a few things. We'll get some maybe some injury information, those kinds of things, and just kind of what's happened. Also, I wanted to mention this. While I'm getting Jeff on the line. I wanted to mention, like, it's rained in Fayetteville every day, steady, this is the fourth day straight that it has not stopped raining. It's been cold and rainy. And I just wonder, I haven't talked to anybody in Houston, Bryan College Station area, but I wonder what the weather's been like there. 
or Jeff can help us out. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hey, Jeff. How you doing, man? Thanks for joining the show. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. So, uh, Jeff also goes by TARP. You can call him TARP if you want. But he's a senior writer at Gigum 24-7. And he's been covering Texas A&M for as long as I can remember. I mean, we go back at least 17 years when I started doing this stuff back in the old days at Rivals. Uh, so we go back a pretty far way, but uh, Jeff, I uh, hope you're doing well. I, I had a question before we get started with some of these questions. I want to answer, answer you just a kind of a, a weather question. It has rained here in Fayetteville four days straight. So I assume Arkansas is just practicing indoors the whole time, but it's rained here four days straight. Uh, what has the weather been like in, in College Station, Bryan College Station? I think it's been pretty much the same, you know, the – almost winter-like conditions, mm-hmm. and so A&M's probably had to practice indoors as well. We're not necessarily privy to that information, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty sure that's the case based on what's happened in the past. I don't know that that – I don't know that practicing uh, in that way is going to have an effect on A&M one way or the other going into the contest. And I honestly – I know that probably, I guess, the wet stuff may well clear out by Saturday. I think it's supposed to warm up over the weekend. So from that standpoint, I don't know that the weather will be a factor, except if you're familiar with College Station at all, it can get quite windy depending on whether fronts blow in or not. So that may that probably will be the only factor in the game from, from that perspective. Not terribly familiar with College Station. I've only been there one time. I was hoping to go there um, this year, but, you know, with the Halloween game and COVID and everything that's going on, just wasn't very practical. But um, I have been there in the old Kyle Field. I was looking forward to, to maybe seeing the new one. Maybe that will happen again in 2026, I guess, is <laughs> the next the next opportunity that, uh, that we'll have a chance to go to Kyle Field. Um, so it sounds like it's going to be a, a wash on weather with both teams having to deal with that this week. Uh, I was hoping you could give us uh, the latest information on Texas A&M and the injury report. Well, I think from an injury standpoint, A&M is going to be as healthy as they've been 
all season, relatively speaking. They've had a lot of injuries in the receiving core at tight end. They also had uh, Jamon Osmond opt out. Uh, the Caleb Chapman injury in the Florida game, I, I don't I don't want to use the word devastating, but it certainly put a crimp on what mm-hmm. A&M had started to do in the passing game, which was get the ball down the field, which was one of their top weaknesses in the passing game. Now they've got to go back and, and try to find another Z receiver. Uh, you'll see probably multiple guys at that spot this weekend. Uh, Hezekiah Jones should be back from injury. Uh, DeMond DeMoss, who is the heralded five-star freshman, I think this is probably going to be his most extended playing time. If A&M can, can find a Z, then I think this offense, I, I don't know that this offense will be Florida-like, which I think that was kind of the exception to the rule going forward, but mm-hmm. at least it will enable them to stretch the field a little more, generate a few more big plays. Otherwise, they should get Nickel Eric Young back, who's a kind of an underrated defender on the back end. They've struggled at Nickel the last couple of games with him being out. The big nose tackle, Bobby Brown, who is very, you know, what wouldn't have been much of a factor anyway against Mississippi State, the way Mike Leach throws the ball around uh, against a team like Arkansas that will try to run the football if you give them the favorable box. Uh, I, I think he's going to be much more important this time around. He should be back. Jeff Tarpley joining us from Gigum 24-7. Jeff, what is your thoughts right now on, on the way Kellen Mond has been playing? I mean, it seems like – I'm not going to hold the Alabama game against Texas A&M, uh, but it seems like they do whatever they have to win. I mean, they didn't play exceptionally against Mississippi State. They didn't play exceptionally against Vanderbilt, but they won the games. And they've got a win over number five, then number five Florida on the resume – what has Mon done this season, and is he doing anything different than we've seen out of him in the past? I think the thing about Mon is always it's always about how he plays at Caulfield versus away from Caulfield. And mm-hmm. you watch him, and it's almost like watching two different quarterbacks. His mechanics, his footwork, his decision-making, everything is always better at Caulfield. Ball comes out quicker just you just check off a lot of boxes you get him on the road and he just doesn't seem to process things as quickly seems much more hesitant he does do a good job at, at getting AM in the right place you saw that when mississippi state gave them the favorable box uh, they really pounded the bulldogs with isaiah spiller mm-hmm. other than the pick six which really wasn't entirely his fault uh that was kind of a fluky play he he secured the ball he didn't make otherwise he didn't make the big mistakes on the road that he has in the past so i I think if you're talking about home on i think you'll probably see a different guy who's probably going to be a better quarterback i think the key for him as usual is just ball security he struggles with fumbles although that hasn't been an issue the last few games uh, like it was during a five-game stretch dating from South Carolina all the way through to uh, the Vanderbilt game to open the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he can just keep the ball secure and be the type of quarterback he normally is at home, uh, again, accepting what you saw against Vanderbilt, and if a and gets anything at all out of the Z receiver spot, he'll probably have a pretty good game throwing the football around and the offense will look quite a bit different. 
uh, again, and that's the up and down factor that he brings to Anon's offense, home versus being away from Caulfield. You know, I, I'm not willing to write off Arkansas's run defense yet. They gave up a 47-yarder on a fake punt that, for some reason, nobody saw coming in the fourth quarter when they had a, a decent lead over Ole Miss. Um, and I think the Auburn game, rain played a factor and and how slippery every everybody was because Arkansas had success running the ball too in that one. But if this does come down to a a game, you know where. Arkansas is forced to win the game because Texas A&M is very stout on the run. Um, if Arkansas can limit or get and make sure they tackle Spiller and Smith, this could come down to possibly a game where it's Felipe Franks versus Kellen Mond, and these guys have been has been very similar. You think Arkansas has a chance to slow A&M down in the running game with the, the success those guys have had? I, the two things you really have to pay attention with the A&M's running game is how many guys do you get in the box? I mean, if you give A&M a favorable box, A&M is one of those teams that will definitely continue to attack you on the ground. They will not, you know, they won't back off and sit there and go, oh, maybe we got to do something mm-hmm. else. They will just continue to dial up the running game. So Arkansas has to be able to get people in the box to counteract that. I agree. The other with, thing is, yeah, I agree with you on that. I, teams abandon the run so early, it seems like, in in, in this day and age. And uh, so, if Texas A and M's doing that, I mean, you eventually soften the guys up, and then you know you start having success when it matters in the second half. Yeah, and A and M also can. You know, one of the interesting things with an experienced offensive line is A and M can run the ball a number of different ways. They're probably best suited to counter and power, where they can take a tight end on one side and pull both him and an offensive lineman to the opposite side of the formation and enables them to use their size to seal people off at the point of attack and then kick people out. They were very, very good against Florida in that manner. Uh, They also ran, you know, they ran the ball pretty well against Alabama until they just fell behind by three touchdowns and they kind of had to throw that aspect of the game plan out of the window. Against Mississippi State, and Florida both, they ran inside zone very, very well. And not only that, they set Mississippi State up by and would they would take the H back to one side. They trade him to the other side of the formation. But instead of bringing back across the formation to block a defender on the opposite side, they would just run zone, double on the uh, interior lineman, uh, combo block him, get to the second level. They were very, very successful at that because. Mississippi State kept six people in the box, and A&M was blocking them to six mm-hmm. people. So that's one thing. The other aspect is is that Spiller and, and Smith, now they go about this different ways, both of them are very, very good after contact. In particular, Spiller is one of the best runners in the SEC yards after contact. Yeah. He's very hard to bring down. He's very powerful, very nasty runner. He runs with a lot of lean, a lot of balance. Not a lot of great top-end speed. He's much better this year at being patient, reading those blocks, bending back behind, bending back behind the blocks on the inside zone. And also when A&M gets him in the pistol, which is what they did more of against Florida and Mississippi State, you know, the old I you know, like running the old I formation, mm-hmm. he's at his best there. So I think those are the keys for A&M to be able to do those things and to run a fair amount of pistol where they're going to give him his best chance to be a downhill runner and generate that yardage after contact. 
Jeff Tarpley joining us here. And, you know, I just have to say, Arkansas probably hasn't faced a back like Spiller yet at 6'1", 225 pounds. And then you have to be careful that you're paying attention to who's back there because Smith, you know, he's a guy that can catch passes out of the backfield. Uh, he may lead A&M in catches right now. I, I, I think he does. But, um, you know, he's an explosive guy. He's about 35 pounds lighter. Both of them are running behind, what, four seniors on the offensive line? I mean, and and a five-star guard <laughs> who is a sophomore. So, uh it's a, it's a it's a veteran group up front. I don't think anybody has fewer than 17 starts on that offensive line, 17 to 34 starts for those guys. Um, so it's to me, I, I, I like what you said about you know Spiller breaking tackles, and and I think Smith is a good tackle breaker too. But really, it's with Spiller. Arkansas has to when they get to him, they have to bring him down. You know, they can't allow. You know, he's going to get his. It's going to kind of be that kind of situation, but. He doesn't need to be breaking off long, long runs because he's breaking tackles. So I want to get you out with this, Jeff. Just how do you see this game playing out? Um, we just went over, you know, the horror stories for Halloween, uh, the last eight games for Arkansas in this series. Um, how do you see this one playing out? I guess it wouldn't surprise you to see a seven-point game. I, yeah, I don't see this changing up much. I think A&M has, has consistently found a way to make one more play or one less mistake than Arkansas. Uh, if if something, you know, it's interesting that you've had a lot more excitement among the fan bases about this particular game uh, because the, the teams are kind of exceeding expectations. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I think both teams are going to be playing at a higher level. You know, they've been exciting games, but they haven't necessarily been well-played games. And I think you're going to see both teams playing at a higher level than what you've seen the last few years. Uh, I think the coaching is is better, especially on Arkansas' side with, with Sam Pittman and the, and the coordinators he's brought in. Uh, I think at the end of the day, if A&M can find a way, you know, Arkansas lives on turnovers. If A&M just doesn't turn over the football, then it gets into the red zone, and then it has to, you know, it comes down to those four-point plays, you know, a third and three at the 10 or a third and goal at the one. Can they punch those plays mm-hmm. in? Arkansas is a very good red zone defense. A&M has got the running game to be a good red zone offense, so that if they can do that, then I think, that's, then I think that stresses Arkansas's offense, which – isn't and it you know isn't necessarily an explosive group and I think that's eventually if A and M wins they secure the ball they generate more points in the red zone that stresses Arkansas's offense and then they just you know take a one to two score one to two score win eventually when it's all said and done. All right, Jeff, I appreciate you joining us. Thanks for the insight. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate y'all and uh, have a good rest of your day. Yep, you too. All right, that's Jeff Tarpley again. Jeff uh, is the senior writer for uh, Gigum 24-7. I want to get to, let's see, we're going to Curtis Wilkerson next. And I think that that Jeff made a good point also just on, you know, making mistakes. One, I mean, that to me has been just the theme of the whole season so far. And if you look back at that Mississippi State game, you know, we can talk about, you know, what they did, what they set up and stuff. The bottom line Mississippi State had one more turnover, and they had a blocked punt. I believe both of those occurred at the one-yard line and the eight-yard line on their own end. So it's a 28-14 game right there. 
there's your there's your big examples of why Texas A&M was able to to win that game. And you know Vanderbilt's kind of similar. They capitalize on Vanderbilt mistakes. Florida the same deal. They did enough to win those games. Bottom line. All right. So for those who don't follow Curtis, you're going to love what he's going to bring to the table when basketball rolls around. He does a great job for us too. Been with us a few months now. Hey, Curtis. Got you there. How you doing, man? I'm um, doing all right. I mean, I got to say, I'm, I'm looking out the window wondering if we're ever going to see the sun again. And mm-hmm. between that and the scary story you shared at the beginning of this, I, I, I might kind of be in a dark place right now. I don't know. I know. I should have put a flashlight up to my up to my chin <laughs> <laughs> and, t- and told those stories in retrospect. But, yeah. yeah, it's been, you know, the good news, I think, because w- to me it's better to practice it's better to practice outdoors. I think that goes without saying. You know, maybe inside occasionally you want to blast some music. You got some secret stuff you want to work on. I get that. But uh, to hear that, you know, in College Station, Bryan College Station, they're also having a high amount of rain. Um, I think that pretty much makes it a wash, no pun intended. Yeah. But that kind of concerned me for Arkansas because I know last week they were on a bye. They never wore full pads. And then this week, you're just not as physical in that indoor. You've only got the one field, you know. It just limits you on on what you can do. You, you basically have, you know, the defense on one side and the offense on the other, and you split it 50-50. So it limits what you can do, but uh, it sounds like Texas A&M's in the same boat there. So we could end up seeing a game, you know, where you do see more, you know, more slip tackles and stuff like that. And I don't know if that's a good thing for Arkansas because Spiller, they have to get Spiller down. I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah, that, that guy's a load, isn't he? You got to make it to where like Kellen Mond has to beat you. You know, Kellen Mond. You you know you, you and it, you know even in the Alabama game, I look at that Alabama game and and why they lost and it's mistakes. It's you know having two penalties back to back on a drive and that's what it comes down. Nobody talks about that in the SEC about all the things that you know you we like your your article here, which is great. It's one of my favorite um, stories that you do each week. It's keys to victory and five burning questions. And we can ask all these questions, but it comes down to the bottom line, who's going to make the fewest mistakes and who's going to make the other team pay for their mistakes the most. Yeah, that's that's 100% true. You know, taking a look at the keys to victory there, and we always kind of go over penalties, and you mentioned that. Uh, and if you look, you know, Arkansas and Texas A&M both average right around six penalties per game, but the difference in total yardage from those penalties per game, I think Texas A&M is averaging almost 25 yards more. So, mm-hmm. you know, that tells you Arkansas is getting hit with, you know, the little five-yarders, illegal formation, false start, and things like that. Uh, and, and A&M's getting hit with a little bit more of the severe stuff, and I think that might be costing them a little bit more for sure. Arkansas obviously leading the country in turnovers and, and takeaways. Even after – I mean, here's what's crazy about that. So, Arkansas has played four games. The next five teams that are all tied, I think Arkansas has ten total turnovers, and then the next team is like nine, and I think there are five teams tied. But all of those teams have played six or seven games, five, six, or seven games so far this season. And Arkansas still leads the country. I just wonder – is this something that Arkansas is just doing? To me, it looks like they're really studied up on their opponents. They're breaking on the ball before the ball even gets there a lot of times, and they're just they're just capitalizing um, versus like a lot of tip balls or you know picking up a lot of fumbles. It doesn't seem like it's just based purely on luck, but obviously that needs to continue on in this one. Yeah, definitely. That's that's a really good point, and i i get a, I get a little irritated when I 
see people say, oh, you know, so-and-so beat themselves against Arkansas. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like you said, these aren't really flukes. I mean, mm-hmm. these guys are ready. I mean, how many times have we heard, you know, somebody in these Zoom press conferences on the defense say, you know, yeah, I read his eyes and I, I, I knew it was coming before the play even started. Well, that's, that's coaching and execution. Yeah. So that's definitely something that they're forcing uh, as opposed to, you know, benefiting from luck, no doubt. Teams will say that after every every time they lose. They will say, we, yep. shot, we shot ourselves in the foot. And that's, again, to me, that's like an inexperienced fan would say something like that or somebody that doesn't – maybe just watches their own team, you know, doesn't watch the whole scope of college football because these games always come down to mistakes. I mean, almost always they come down to mistakes and then just capitalizing on it. And, um, yeah, you sh- you you hurt yourself, and that's that's what and the other team made you pay. And I, I've said this before; people are probably tired of hearing me say it, but that is one reason that Alabama has been so good for so many years is because when you do make that mistake, they capitalize. And I also hear something you know I hear people say you know we're right there with them till the fourth quarter. Well, that's usually when the best team turns it on. <laughs> you know, that's, that's crunch time. That's, that's right. I mean, that's 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 the quarter right there. So um, it's just you know the stories people tell themselves. To uh, to justify why why they lost a game when they just they got beat and they got beat for the same reasons that you know the other team might have lost the week before. Mm-hmm. So basketball, Curtis, it, we're getting close to basketball. Yes, and you've had a chance to watch a couple of practices via Zoom. You've broken down some backcourt and frontcourt rotation stuff. What do you, what are you seeing right now with basketball? What's the latest news? Yeah, it's you're right. It is getting close. I mean, we're less than four weeks away from tip off. You know, assuming everything holds serve, you know, November 25th is that opening day. Should have some of those SEC preseason polls and all SEC teams and things like that dropping soon. Mm. Uh, you know, everybody's been excited about the release of the non-conference schedule. Obviously, last week we found out a couple of those games drawing. Oklahoma State again mm-hmm. uh, in the in the SEC Big 12 Challenge, but that'll be fun. I mean, they've got the top recruit in the country in Cade Cunningham coming in, so good matchup there. We've got the in-state game with UCA also, so it'll be interesting to see how they fill the rest of that schedule out. As far as the team is concerned, you know, Musselman, we spoke to him last week in the press conference, and one of the things he's really trying to determine right now is, you know, Who's going to be that go-to guy? I mean, they're mm-hmm. replacing 85% of their scoring from a year ago. Yeah. Uh, well, we didn't you know, know Mason Jones last year. I mean, we, we thought Mason would exactly. be good, but nobody thought mm-hmm. he would do what he did. Right, yeah. And that's and that's you know, kind of what Musselman alluded to is, hey, we're, we're trying to figure this out as much as we can mm-hmm. now, but we didn't expect that from Mason Jones, and it kind of evolved over the course of the season. So it'll be really interesting to see how that shakes out, you know, hearing some good things from practice in in regards to Vance Jackson, uh, his ability to shoot the ball and and create mismatches. J.D. Note has looked good. Uh, Justin Smith, just Mr. Consistency. Uh, And then freshman Jalen Williams, you know, we we hear a lot about Moses Moody, and, you know, it sounds like he's been shooting the cover off the basketball. Mm -hmm. But hearing some good things about 6'10 for Jalen Williams. So we'll be interested to see if he can kind of claw his way into some minutes and, and earn some expanded role in his first year. All right, Curtis. Well, I appreciate the insight as always, and uh, we'll get back with you soon, okay? Sounds great. All right, that's Curtis Wilkerson again. You can follow Curtis at Kurt Wilkerson underscore on Twitter. 
uh, does a great job in, uh, and is going to do a fantastic job as soon as basketball gets started. Already starting to, to do a lot of basketball stuff, and we've got some good stuff planned for you also uh, with Curtis that I think you guys are going to enjoy as well. All right, we're going to switch over to Danny West. Danny West is our main recruiting guy when it comes to Razorback football. Trey Biddy. What's up, Danny? I love how you always What's pick up on? on the first ring. <laughs> well, you know me. <laughs> first ring kind of guy. So, yeah. Danny – uh, I was just talking with Jeff Tarpley and, and Curtis about the game coming up this weekend. Let's just jump right into it. How do you see this one playing out just based on, I guess, all the information you've gathered throughout the week and what you know of this series? Well, right now I've got A&M winning. You know, I, I think Arkansas covers. But, you know, you think about how Arkansas has scored points, Trey. Mm-hmm. I mean, 25% of their touchdowns have come from defense, Right. I mean, they've scored 12 touchdowns this year, three of them by the defense. So we know the running game hasn't been there so far, right? The Mm -hmm. consistency anyway. I think they're improving, but, you know, it'd be big to get Boyd going this weekend. But based on what we've seen so far, man, I think A&M being really tough against the run, Arkansas's lack of consistency to get the running game going, as great as the defense has been and as healthy as they're getting now, you know, I just I go with the home team. You you yeah. talk about the history of the series there. You know, it's not realistic to expect that defense to keep going out there and getting you a touchdown or, or two touchdowns like they did the last time out. But it's just not sustainable. So in a close one with a lot of things being close to equal, I'd probably – I'm going with the home team, the team that's dominated the series, the team that's got a better rushing offense and, and rush defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was – uh, so, you know, and I think their special teams has been better, too. So, you know, just a lot to ask of Arkansas. Here they are trying to improve the running game. And guess what? Now you got to go against Michael Clemens and Leal and Peavy and all those guys. They're doing a really good job. So I think Arkansas covers another close game, but I've got A&M at home. You know, A&M, and I kind of agree with you, Danny. In fact, I've already started writing my predictions, and that's kind of where I end up going just when – I balance stuff out and play stuff out in my head. A lot of times, you know, if I can't just say this team, definitely a lot of times I'll just go with the home team. And that's kind of where I'm headed here. But I also see, uh, as I was talking with Jeff, I think Arkansas is probably a better tackling team than they're given credit for. You know, they've had, uh, you know, the Auburn game and, you know, the Ole Miss game, they gave up a lot of rushing. Of course, Ole Miss ran like 50-something times, 53 times, I think. One of those was a 47-yard, you know, the fake. Um, right. where they gained a lot of rushing yards. And, you know, the Auburn game was Who in the rain. Coming, by the way? Yeah, everybody except for Arkansas for some reason. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it. I think there's like six minutes left or something in the game too. Unreal, man. So, Unreal. to me, if Arkansas can tackle, and I've said this before, but Arkansas can tackle Spiller, they can get him down to the ground, it needs to come down to a Mond versus Franks game. Absolutely. you got to put it on Mond's shoulders. Exactly. I totally agree. And if it doesn't, if it comes down to where, you know, they're having success running the ball, then Rakeem Boyd needs to take all the angst and the built-up frustration or whatever he's had over his career or, you know, the idea that he's going to get back at Texas A&M at some point and it needs to come out in this game to balance yeah. things out. Because if it doesn't, then you got to rely on the defense to stop and, and then it's and then it's Mond versus Franks. And I'm not sure – I mean, if you look at the numbers on these guys – Almost identical, Danny. I don't know if you've checked yeah, out I think they're the really stats, close. but yeah, they're very similar. So could come to that down to that. And if it does, 
then I go with the home team still just for that. You know, if it's even, go with the home team. But ultimately, it's going to come down to things like penalties, turnovers, stuff sure. like that, if Arkansas can stop Special the teams could be big. Special it teams could been, be big. You it, know, in several of these it, games. It absolutely has been in several of these games. And, uh, and Arkansas, as you mentioned, has just not been very good on special teams. Yeah. Yeah, totally with you there, buddy. I think you've got to, you know, the short way of saying it, you've got to create a stalemate mm-hmm. in the running game. Uh, you know, you've got to essentially get as much as you give up here you know, and it comes down to Danny. Really tough defensively. I mean, you look at you look at it like this. Also, I mean, whose offensive line are you taking? The one with four yep. seniors and a five-star sophomore. You know, yep. all who have seventeen-plus starts, or you know, Arkansas. Arkansas is not a ragtag bunch by any means anymore. I think right. they have a better offensive line they had last year, but they're still and weaknesses. They're getting better. Yeah, they're getting better. But there's, I mean, Brady Latham. You know, is. A, I always kind of looked at him as a guy, as a future starter, you know, once he gets a little yep. stronger and a little bit bigger. Yep. But he's already in there starting, you know. Um, you know, Bo, Bo Lemmer doesn't seem like he's 100% right now. Um, you know, so there's, there's some questions. Like we know that Noah Gatlin's been dealing with an ankle also. So there's some questions like that, whereas I look at A&M and I see, you know, the four seniors. Even though none of those guys – all those guys are three-star recruits. You know that, Danny? All those offensive linemen for Texas yeah. There's not a That's single right. – they're all like 750, 1100 ranked player in the country. The thing is they're all from the 16 and 17 recruiting classes and they're all seniors <laughs> and they have a ton of yeah. start and experience under their belt. Uh, and then they got that standout sophomore. So, it's Danny – like Mississippi State. You think about Mississippi State's offensive line a couple of years, uh, you know, yeah. the last few years anyway, they're never – just stand out four or five star type guys, but they're program guys like you talked about there. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, Dan Mullen saying one time when he was there, we won't recruit an offensive lineman unless he can grow a beard like right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it, yeah. It, it matters. It matters. But yeah. by the time they get to be 20, 21, they're grown men. Yeah, they really are. It makes a difference. Yeah. Arkansas will be there at some point. I mean, these three interior guys are all second year players. So. They'll yeah. get there, and they got some some big guys coming up in this uh, in this last uh, recruiting class that uh, that ought to be good players for right. eventually. Yeah. So, Danny, what you, any uh, any updates you want to give us on recruiting? I know you had an article today on just the recruiting battles that we've seen between Arkansas and Texas A and M, but what's uh, what's going on with Razorback recruiting lately? Well, you know, we get a lot of questions about how the 21 class is going to finish up here, right? Mm -hmm. You know, lately, Trey, it's been defensive line, a lot of D-line action. You know, it's kind of where it's at right now with 20 spots filled. Of course, they've got uh, the one defensive tackle committed, uh, Solomon Wright, out of Oklahoma. And I think they're looking for uh, potentially two more in that group, the D-line group. Uh, We'll see whether that's a combo of two interior guys or one tackle, one DN. Of course, they offered a new defensive end this past week, Garfield Lawrence, out of Tyler, Texas, uh, Legacy High School, 6'4", 240, but certainly looks like a guy who's going to be 280 in no time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, that's going to be the interesting aspect of it. Will it be two defensive tackles or one DT and one guy who might project later? You know, we'll see on that. But Isaiah Eaton, uh, Cameron Ball, and Ian Matthews are kind of the three I've been looking at for uh, a few weeks now. And I think it comes down to if they could get a yes from two out of those three, I think they'd do it all day. So from there, I mean, you're only talking about a few spots left. Maybe you save a couple of those as we've talked about. Um, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world if you don't get a fourth offensive lineman. 
maybe save that spot and see what the transfer portal produces, right? Mm-hmm. Same deal at linebacker, uh, DB. They've got a lot they can do there. So that's pretty much where it's at. Outside of that, a lot of 2022 and 2023 offers going out since the last time we spoke two weeks ago. So, you know, uh, we've got breakdowns of all those guys. I've just tried to treat every one of them like they are the only guy in the world, right, to talk about. So got a lot of breakdowns on several of those. I think the most notable one would be DeAndre Burns, mm-hmm. kid out of El Dorado for all of our people down in Eldo, 5'10", only about 150 now, wide receiver, but he's just a sophomore and he can really fly. I think he had like an 11.1 in the hundred, so that's moving pretty good for, for a sophomore. So uh, keep an eye on DeAndre Burns, 5'10", wide receiver out of El Dorado. Gotcha. All right, Danny. Appreciate you, man. All right, man. You bet. All right, that's Danny West. Again, if you like insider recruiting news, then Danny West is a great guy uh, to follow. And you can follow him at Danny West one And you can also get all of his insider recruiting coverage at hogsports.com. Again, right now, 50% off at hogsports.com for the number one independent source on Arkansas recruiting. Breaks down to just 15 cents a day. So, I've said this before, but you cannot buy a gumball for 15 cents anymore. Okay, so it's a great deal. It's a dollar three a week. If you've ever wondered, like, how do we support these guys? We love the free show, Hog Sports Live. You like Drive Time? What I do on there? You like what Danny does on Out of Bounds and on the Hog Hustle? Come see what we we'll come see what we have behind the curtains for our VIP subscribers. Hog Sports is one of the 10 largest subscriber bases in the 24/7 Sports Network. Okay, um, and we got there. Not because of our population, because population-wise, we shouldn't be able to do the activity that we do on on Hog Sports. But it just goes to show Arkansas fans are passionate. We put out a good product, and Arkansas fans come. And I think that's the same way with the team. We've seen when Arkansas is really strong in football, the fans really come. And they come anyway. I mean, they come anyway. It's just when they're good, you really see this thing snowballing, and Arkansas has a chance to do that, I think. So come get all your latest uh, Razorback coverage from hogsports.com if you haven't done so already. Again, no promo code. Just go to hawgsports.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network, and you'll see the uh, the banner ad there. <clears throat> all right, excuse me. I want to go to your questions now. Do I have your questions up? No. There it is. Okay. All right, we're going to go first to the Razor's Edge VIP forum where all of our VIP subscribers interact. One of the top message boards in the country in the month of December. This was actually the busiest message board in college football. The number one, not number five or anything, number one. Mr. Pig says, what do you feel makes A&M fans some of the worst to interact with in college football? All fan bases have their zealots and moments of anger, but Aggies seem to regularly churn out annoying elitist fans. I have noticed that, okay, and I think it, it kind of it cuts both ways because Arkansas fans are pretty ruthless with A&M fans as well. Arkansas fans, it's more like making fun of them. You know, it's kind of like pointing and laughing. And then A&M fans, I, I just kind of imagine them on the other side just kind of like just mad, just spitting mad and talking about your mom, just like what's going to hurt you the most? What can I say that's going to cut the deepest? That's kind of how I imagine A&M fans. I don't know if they do that with everybody, but – they do it with when it comes to be you know Arkansas Texas A and M. I don't know if it's like just the history overall, the fact that you know Arkansas does have an edge in the series versus you know the last eight games have all belonged to Texas A and M. 
whatever it is, it's great. It's good for college football. The hate is real. And that's that's just that's just football, man. In, in, in the SEC or the Southwest, whatever you want to call it, Southwest Conference back in the day, these two teams just hate each other whether they want to admit it or not. And you can see it by the way they interact with each other on message boards. It's from Mr. Pig. Mr. Pig also asked, what are the odds we see Arkansas use a four-man front against A&M? Everyone's predicting that Aggies should try to run early and often, so we see some beef up front and try to force Mon to throw. I think that's probably the best way to go about it, make Mon beat you, not, not Isaiah Spiller. That's probably – I don't think you can go – and I said this before Ole Miss also, and they still did it, but I don't know that you can go three-man front against these guys because they don't stop running. You know, they're going to keep – even if they're, as Tarpley was saying, even if they're just banging their heads against the wall, they're going to keep on running and try to soften you up. So, yeah, I do think probably more four-man front, but they use pretty much exclusively an odd front against Ole Miss and Mississippi State. And Ole Miss, they blitzed more. Mississippi State, I think they only blitzed one time that wasn't, you know, they didn't. Aside from, you know, the fourth and one plays, they weren't bringing anybody except for the three guys up front. Hog Nation 9 says, how do you think the Hogs pull this one out? Need to know for more, run for more, win the turnover battle. I think it's going to have to be a lot of things. First of all, they're going to have to be able to match Texas A&M running the ball, okay? Because right now I see the quarterbacks as even, okay? So Arkansas has to be able to have success on the ground. They've got a guy in Rakeem Boyd who's been hurt, who hasn't broken out yet, who played okay against Texas A&M last year. I think he had 18 carries for 89 yards. But he hasn't really made Texas A&M say, man, that stinks that we lost that guy. You know, So he needs to have that kind of game in this one for Arkansas to have a chance. If, if everything else is equal, turnovers, special teams, and all that stuff. If it comes down to offense versus defense, make it Mond versus Franks. I might give Franks an edge there, a slight edge, not much, but also give A&M the home, home field advantage. Money line is four, plus 400. Do you think we win? I can't – I mean, I, I'm just conditioned to what I've seen over the years. I've seen one seven-point loss after another. So, money line, I say stay away from it. I mean, I'm not giving gambling advice. It's 12 and a half. I, I, you know, based on recent history, it's been a closer game than that. Every game that A&M has played that they've won, you know, they lost the Alabama game pretty handily, but every game that they have won was a close game. Was it 17-12 to 12 against Vanderbilt? Thanks to a safety. 28-14 against Mississippi State, thanks to having one more turnover and blocking a punt. I mean, they've been close games. The Florida game was, what, I don't know, it was like 43-38 to 38 or something like that. I can't remember, but it was – I mean, it was another close game. So they've all been close that they've played so far. Arkansas games have been close except for Georgia. Sparks Co. says, if the 425 struggles at containing the run game and the ball and the Hawks fall behind, how long does Odom wait to put an extra guy in the box? I'd rather beat, get beat by Mon than having you – know, I think we just kind of talked about that, Sparks. Your next question was, do you believe the SEC offices will ever be forced to move from Alabama? No. And where do you think the play – see, they're never going to admit that there's any kind of – bias or anything like that here's the problem that Arkansas fans have had I think it's it's not so much that they've lost games be directly because of calls in the game that went against them you know um, somebody brought up the Auburn game from what 2003 I believe it was the year that Arkansas went down to Texas and beat them and Matt Jones had like a 70-something yard run that was called back on a holding call that was way behind him. Um, you know, the, there's the Florida game. The thing is, you can we can come up with so many of these. I, can, I remember back, I think, 
was it Georgia where they the guy muffed the muffed the kickoff and fumbled it and the ref blew it dead, just assuming that he was going to catch the ball and Michael Grant had recovered it in the end zone. There were so many plays like that that you can remember. But if you think about it the other way around, I can't remember a single game where Arkansas got a lucky call and won the game because of it. I mean, as far back as I can remember, I can't remember that. Now, they've had some plays that have been great and lucky. I mean, the, the Hunter Heave, you know, the, the miracle on Markham 1 and 2. You know, they've had some great finishes to games, but have they had a game where it was like Arkansas didn't do anything, it was the refs that helped Arkansas out and they won the game because of it? Cannot remember it. MB50187 says, which do you think Greg Sankey likes more, Magic Mike Live or Thunder Down Under? <laughs> yeah, you got me reading that one. You got me. Sparks Co. says, when will there be a promo for the Platinum Board? That's an insider joke. All right, everybody. <laughs> so those have been interesting. Let's see what our Facebook community has. Trey, what is your prediction for the game, says Daryl Greeno. Um, I think I'm probably going to end up going Texas A&M just kind of for the reasons that we expressed already. It just feels like A&M's got the edge in the run game. They play better on special teams. They're the home, game, they're the home team. So if Arkansas can't get it going in the run game and play better on special teams, and as Danny mentioned, you know, so many points have come off turnovers – so they have to have that in their favor. Also, I just I give the edge to the home team. I'm not saying that Arkansas can't win. I think they can. But they they to me they've got to put it in, in Mon's hands. Jeff Green says, Trey, very important question that I've been wanting to wanting to ask you since last year. Is the walk and talk a tribute to the best show ever that made the walk and talk famous? The West Wing. That is from there that so I Googled that, Jeff. That's interesting you bring it up because I wanted to see if anybody else was using um, that term, walk and talk. And I found out that it was first used in the West Wing when they're just like walking through the halls of the White House and they've got a camera running in front of them. And they walk. I never watched the West Wing, but I did read that, Jeff, um, that they, I guess that's maybe where it was coined, where they're talking and, and going over stuff as they're walking. But I actually just, it's not related to that at all. It's just something I came up with. I started I started doing Facebook Live stuff years ago, about three years ago, where I would just walk around campus and answer questions. And I just kind of started referring to it as a walk and talk. And then last season, I didn't even intentionally mean to, coin it a walk and talk it just I just referred to it as that and then I just kept referring to it as that and that's everybody's called it the walk and talk so I just kept going with it that's and that's where it, it came from John Sullivan says do players entering the portal this season still have to sit out a year with the season not being held against them there could be a ruling in January that allows players just to transfer freely I've said before I'm against that I think it's another mistake by the NCAA which it seems like they to me they make a lot of mistakes but this one, I am in favor of, okay, you play two years. If you're not playing after two years, then you're able to transfer wherever you want to go, okay, free and clear. Nobody can stop you. You don't have to sit out a year. But I know that most every freshman wants to go home at some point, wants to leave or transfer at some point in their careers. Most freshmen do. I've always thought of that as a nice barrier to say, hey, think about it again because you probably have to sit out a year if you do transfer. 
you play two years, you're not playing, you give it the old college try. After two years, the coach is probably fine with you leaving if you're not playing. So that's my opinion on it. I think it's a mistake to allow them just to transfer anytime. I hate the way I despise the four game rule. Okay. The four game rule, I think it's fine. I think it's there for if you're a freshman, you should be able, um, you know, to play four games, sure, and redshirt. I think it's a great rule. You don't have to worry about the, you know, the injury aspect of it all, you know, filling out the, um, you know, the, uh, the medical red shirt process, all that stuff, play four games. And if you want to, you know, if, if you, if you want to, um, you know, if you want to take a red shirt, then that, that's great. But what you have with the four game red shirt rule is older players playing four games, taking it upon themselves to red shirt themselves while staying on scholarship so they can transfer and save that year and then transfer out somewhere as a grad transfer. A lot of times I hate that. Uh, if you're going to quit the team, you quit before the season starts, okay? So your team and your coaches have somebody, you know, some way to, in a way, prepare, prepare another player, take care of it in recruiting or something like that. When you do that four games into a season, you quit on every single player on the team, okay? Now, I'm not talking about Jerry Jacobs because, you know, there's a whole COVID situation. Plenty of players got reasons to do it. So I don't know if that's why he legitimately decided to opt out. But I, and, I, and I'm not talking about players who are, like, suspended, like Traylon Smith, Arizona State. He was going to be suspended, so he transfers. Okay, he was going to be suspended anyway. But, like, Felipe Franks, you know, or Felipe is a bad example because he was injured. But I've seen players in the past, you know, who stick it out with their team. Nick Starkle, that's what I meant to say. Nick Starkle, you know, actually stuck it out with his team and then transferred. Didn't, didn't, didn't redshirt himself or whatever you want to do. Um, I just – I hate that. I hate the message it sends. It's, you know, this isn't the pros. It's college football. You don't quit on your team after four games. Tell your coach, hey, I'm redshirting myself. It was up to the coach to redshirt you. Now it's up to the player. I just think that there's – and I appreciate player rights and, you know, looking out for the players and and all those things, but I do think that the coach has to have a level of control over the team where he's not just, like, coddling players in a lot of ways so that, you know, he's not worried that they'll just transfer on him at the first sign of negativity. And we see it all the time. It happens more and more, more and more over the years. Justin Eric Cunningham says, it'll be less than five for sure unless they can play. Like, I'm not sure. Guys, just if, if you could just answer ask questions in this, it makes it so much easier for me. Instead of just commenting back and forth. And that's pretty much what I see here. So... We've gone past my time limit. Everybody knows I start struggling after 50 minutes. We've gone 57 minutes here. So I want to I thank Jeff Tarpley for joining us from Giggum 24-7. Uh, he does a great job. If you're an Aggie fan listening to this, go check him out over at Giggum 24-7. They're also offering 50 off, 50% off through Friday. Um, and we are as well. Don't forget, 50% off at Hog Sports. If you haven't done so already, go check us out. You can also sign up for $1. If you just want to try out the monthly option, See what we're all about for a month. Go sign up for $1. There's no promo code there. You can clearly see how to pick each option when you click the sign-up page. But go sign up if you haven't done so already. I believe this runs till Friday. If Arkansas wins, we might run it uh, again, pick it up and run it through Sunday. But 
that's the plan right now. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate you, Danny West, also for your recruiting insight and your knowledge on the game. Same thing with you, Curtis, for basketball and your insight on the game as well. We'll be back with you guys for a walk and talk after the Texas A&M game on Halloween night. This has been Trey Biddy with Hogsports.com, and we'll catch you next time. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.